This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you really want to reach gamers, then you need to take an honest interest in their hobbies. You know, it's really hard to reach out to someone like that if you're like, well, at the end of the day, I think what you do is pretty stupid. Listening to Quick to Listen, the Christianity Today podcast, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes and set aside time to explore the reality behind a major cultural event. I am Caitlin Beatty. I am the print managing editor of Christianity Today. This week, we will be discussing, you might have heard of it, Pokemon Go, this wildly popular game that you play on your phone that churches are using to draw people in. Hey, Morgan. Hey, Caitlin. How are you? I'm doing well. Have you been playing Pokemon Go? Have you been addicted to it since it came out a couple weeks ago? Um, I've had some other things going on in my life, so I have not gotten into it, but I'm I'm definitely tempted. I, I kind of feel like an old person if I don't try well, it. This seems like the podcast then that might convince you to give in to temptation. Right. We have a great guest to help you along that journey this <laughs> great week. So today we're joined by Drew Dixon. He is the lead editor of Explore the Bible for Students, which is part of Lifeway Christian Resources in Nashville. But we're bringing him on today because he's the editor-in-chief of Game Church. They are a nonprofit that's dedicated to bringing the message of Jesus's love, hope, and acceptance into the culture of video games. Drew, it is so great to have you here. Yeah, so good to be here and to talk about uh, my new fascination pokemon go (laughs) so yeah that was great well as our listeners know um all the topics that we talk about on this show come with a lot of tension and conversation and we try to go deeper and um, get to better conversation about the topic at hand this week we will be discussing the enormously popular um, pokemon go game and specifically how churches are interacting with people who are coming into their buildings because they're playing this game. Most of our listeners probably know this, but if you don't, the game lets you catch mythical creatures called Pokemon in real world locations through your smartphone. So you're you're walking around and you're seeing these mythical creatures on your phone, you catch them. You can also go to what are called Pokey Stops where you gather supplies and then Pokey Gyms, <laughs> where you can battle other players and train your Pokemon. So a lot of these places in the game are actually associated with public buildings and landmarks of historic or architectural significance, including church buildings. So in the past couple of weeks, churches have you know, specifically reached out to people who are coming into their building saying, you're welcome here. Here's a bottle of water. You should come back to our Friday night contemporary worship service. And we thought it would be a great occasion to talk first about evangelism methods and what this particular moment suggests about the church's relationship to millennials, um, the kinds of people who are playing these games, but then also how Christians engage pop culture phenomenon and whether this new cultural phenomenon is an example of the church doing kind of a Jesus juke, which is when, by the way, you take 
a topic not about Jesus, but you learn, you figure out ways to make it about Jesus, even though that other thing was perfectly legitimate in its own right. So we are going to do our gut check, which is when we just get our initial reactions to the news story on the table. But first, I wanted to take a moment to say that Quick to Listen is made possible by subscribers of Christianity Today magazine. Our magazine offers redemptive yet honest coverage of the people, events, and ideas shaping the church and culture. As a subscriber, you get 10 award-winning print issues each year, tablet and PDF editions of each issue, full web access to ChristianityToday.com, including access to our online archives dating back to 1956. And if you are listening to Quick to Listen and you're interested in a subscription, you can go to the website orderct.com slash quick to listen and get one year long subscription for our lowest rate available $10. So it's not that much money. I know you enjoy our podcast. I know you enjoy our website. I know you enjoy the print editions that you've seen. So you might as well cave and do it now. Orderct.com slash quick to listen. Let's get to our gut check. Drew, you wrote a really excellent piece about Pokemon Go and churches for the local church. You've already had more than a gut check. But kind of as you were writing this piece, what was your reaction to hearing about church's engagement with Pokemon Go? Uh, I guess probably my initial response was like, oh, brother. Uh, because I've been doing this for the last four or five years of trying to think of ways to engage gamers thoughtfully on their own terms, uh, for the sake of the gospel. Um, so that's something that's very much in my wheelhouse. Uh, and so, so probably like somewhat sinfully maybe, or, or selfishly, I've just, I said, oh brother, because I just suspected like the church tends to do sometimes, especially with video games, is engage them with a lack of nuance, uh, maybe should be the way I would put it, is that I just feared that I feared the worst, I guess, in terms of the way that uh, the church was probably engaging this this phenomenon. Okay, what about you, Morgan? What was your gut check to this story? Tentative excitement. Yes, I'm glad that the church is not immediately coming up with proclamations of why you need to keep your kids away from this stuff. That would influence people like my parents, mm. who didn't let me play Pokemon when I was a kid. <laughs> Wait, why? Oh, so sad. We should ask them. I wonder <laughs> if they even know. Did hmm. they think it was satanic? That's a fairly common thing. Remember how actually. people had seizures? There were there was something about... <laughs> no? Legit people did have seizures from Pokemon, but it kind of got blended into this whole convoluted region, and I think it, the, the satanic references were probably there, too. The church, I, I guess, I came to, to faith in was an independent Baptist church, and I remember we had a prophecy conference. I was 17 when, when this happened, and we had this prophecy conference at our church, and there was a presentation that included how Pokemon was demonic. And uh, I was like brand new to Christianity, and I thought it was just really weird. I didn't get it at all. And here you are on a podcast talking about Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. You've strayed so far. I have. Um, I really have. Okay, so my, my gut check to this was I'm so glad that there is something light and fun to distract us and alleviate our stress and sadness over what's going on in the world. Like to me it doesn't it doesn't feel just coincidental that this game has caught on in a moment when our country and our world are facing incredible violence and division. 
So let's dig into the main conversations. I've kind of sensed from both of you this sense of like, oh, here churches go again, taking something perfectly good and making it a tool to get people into the doors of the church. But I'm actually wondering, is there something right about how churches are engaging players who are coming into their church and kind of their open arms approach? Yeah, I think so, for sure. Um, and in fact, like after I had that reaction, that kind of oh brother reaction, I actually found some examples, saw some some churches that I think are doing it somewhat right, you know, inviting players like um, so there's this mechanic in the game where you can set a lure on a Pokestop, which just means you you set this thing into the actual location, like in, say it's a church and you can it will attract Pokemon for to that location for people to catch. So it's like a really nice thing to do, essentially, because if other people in that, that space, because they'll come in and and want to hang out there and catch Pokemon with you. So apparently some of these churches were like setting lures. <laughs> Which is a little too close to we're setting lures to catch them all, meaning all of our neighbors. Right. So, uh, yeah, it sounds bad now that I say it out loud. Uh, <laughs> but... But I think some of the some of these churches were just saying like, come in, get some water, like you're welcome here, and you can play Pokemon. That's totally cool. Like I think that's a great approach if if it, if that's the approach. If it's not this bait and switch. But it's literally called a lure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I have seen some examples of churches that seem to be offering for people to come and use their buildings without any kind of like expectation. So maybe yeah, maybe the goodness is just. This is a space that you can use for your own purposes without the expectation that you, you know, become a member or start attending the worship service. Like this is just an open space for people to find community and and a, a safe haven. Yeah. Yeah. Because like there's Pokemon or Pokestops that are places that like I'm not going to go in there. Like I don't know. Like the state building here in Nashville, I'm like, I don't know that I should like be wandering. I, I just it feels weird. I don't know if I should go in or not. Go ask your state senator if you can catch Pokemon in his office. Like the average gamer walks by a church and sees that there's like a sign that says, "Come on in, catch your Pokemon." I mean, it's that's either terrifying or or really encouraging, but it's po- potentially encouraging compared with like other spaces that may not feel open. The, the churches are communicating, actually, this is a, you come, come on in is a good thing. Yeah. So, but then the flip side of that too, is that I think that some of these churches have kind of done it in, you know, treated it as a gimmick. And so like one of my big things is I think games themselves have inherent value. And I kind of get into this in, in the, the article, but I think that play is like, you, you, and you can read about this there's all kinds of benefits to playing games. Like it's good for our brains. It's good for our, our, our emotional well-being. They've done studies. There have been studies about the brain. Like the brain almost kind of reacts oppositely when we're playing games versus when someone's suffering from depression, which is a really fascinating thing to me. So, so like God created us as physical human beings with physical bodies and apparently games do some good things for our physical bodies. And I think as Christians, we should celebrate that. And then also, I just think it's valuable, like socially, for us to play games together. What frustrates me sometimes is when something like this comes around and the church is just like, how can we use this to get more people in the pews? 
um, as opposed to thinking about like what's the value of this game? How can how could we possibly engage in it redemptively in a way that would be loving towards our neighbor and would celebrate something in creation that's good? Yeah, I mean, what I hear you saying is that games in and of themselves are good gifts and good for us as people in community, and they don't need a religious overlay justifying their purpose. Like we don't need, we don't actually need to add a religious meaning or we don't need to use games for a greater purpose. They are worth pursuing for their, for themselves in and of themselves. And so to take them and kind of treat them as a tool for this other thing is to dishonor the purpose of games. Yeah, to some extent, yeah. And I think I would distinguish what you said just a little bit in that I think games can be spiritual experiences. There, There's this uh, Dutch historian, historian and cultural theorist. How did I know you were going to say that? Because <laughs> it's in my article. Uh, but yeah, Johan Heisinger, he's studied how the concept of play connects with the way human culture is developed. And uh, so, like, when we play games, we create rules, and we abide by those rules, and we exercise freedom, and we explore, and all these things that, like, I think there's, like, a connection to Genesis 1 there, where God is setting the world to rights. He's ordering creation. Um, he's he's creating a beautiful system uh, for us to, to live in, and he says it's good. I think when we play games, we're doing that. We're creating order. We're creating these other worlds essentially that are that are good that in a lot of ways are like better than this jacked up system that we live in you know i mean you mentioned earlier how pokemon go is kind of like a gift almost feels like a gift from god in the midst of like our horribly contentious um political and you know social climate of of our nation right now where we're all just feeling like things are terrible you know pokemon go is another world and uh i guess the flip side of that is that we shouldn't we shouldn't get so comfortable escaping to other worlds that we aren't fearfully and honestly dealing with the real one, but they are welcome respites. And I think it taps into, I think games themselves tap into our longing for the new heavens and the new earth, for a better place, a, a place of order and and justice uh, where, where, where there's fairness. Drew, you were talking about this being like another world. And yet at the same time, I think one of the allures of Pokemon Go is that it is another world, but it's also very much situated in a place that we already live in and be the types of rules and things that you're allowed to do in the Pokemon girl world are actually ways of being that change how you interact in the spaces that you're in and how you interact with other people. You're not just sitting at your house kind of suspending disbelief around the table, but it's changing how you may see public spaces or parks or, you know, like we're talking about churches, which I'm sure many players of the game have very little experience being anywhere near a church. And so it seems like some of the excitement of it is that like, this is a game that that is more than a game, it can offer us something a little bit bigger than that. And there's a, a transformation that ends not when you again, not when you're like done sitting at the table, but it's changing how you actually live your life after you get out of the ta- you know, after you leave the table itself. It is a pretty unique feature of this game that it requires you to go out into your physical space, into your community to play it. I I do wonder, you know, as someone who really enjoys hikes and running outside and 
being outside, I wonder, like, gosh, isn't the created order already so amazing and, and worth exploring on its own? Isn't it sad that we need this game to get us out into the physical world? It is. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, that's one of the complaints that people today have about millennials is that they're glued to their phones. But it, now at least they're glued to their phones outside. So, <laughs> <laughs> But know. we'll take what we can get. This episode is brought to you by Church Salary. Coming up with a reasonable salary range for church staff has never been easy. There are so many details to consider before setting compensation for church staff, and you're probably asking yourself questions like, are we paying too little or too much? What benefits do we offer employees? What's a reasonable housing allowance? Church Salary believes that offering competitive and fair compensation helps keep people in ministry. Using the expansive church-specific compensation database and powerful salary calculator tool, you can also make better compensation decisions so your staff can focus on their ministries. Start with Church Salary's annual membership today to run unlimited customized reports and get access to our member-only content. Ready to start making better compensation decisions? Get started at churchsalary.com. So I think part of it, though, is just that a lot of the physical spaces that we live in are designed to be navigated by cars. And so right. you, there's no actual like template for getting on your feet and walking around. And so some of us, unless we're like going outside to walk our dog and your dog does not need to be walked for the three hours that you might be into playing Pokemon Go for, there's not necessarily an excuse or a reason to be spending time out there. And so sometimes games in that way, they just provide the framework or the justification that you would need to to get outside or to walk or to step on the steps of a you know the stairs of a church right like when are you just going to decide to go up to a church building mm-hmm. well when you have something that's literally telling you to do that or or some sort of incentive <laughs> yeah. to get you up there and then it doesn't start to feel so crazy so anymore yeah. it normalizes things like that Mm-hmm. I wouldn't fault churches for taking advantage of this on some level. Like if they think of redemptive ways to take advantage of it that don't feel exploitative or feel like a gimmick, I think that's really valuable because you're right. There's lots of people going to churches that haven't before. And the church doesn't have a great longstanding relationship with gamers. Like in my experience working for Game Church, we've come across lots of people that have been told like they're by the church, you know, your your pastime, the thing that you enjoy, your hobby is stupid and childish and uh, potentially dangerous to society. And so so that's part that was part of why I wanted to write the article I did too, is I just want to kind of challenge churches to understand games. If you really want to reach gamers, then you need to take an honest interest in their hobbies. You know, it's really hard to reach out to someone like that if you're like, well, at the end of the day, I think what you do is pretty stupid. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it seems like evangelical churches have made space and actually celebrate specific types of games, which are like professional sports. In a sermon about a month ago at my church, I can't count the number of times my pastor referenced LeBron James and like the NBA final championship. And I was, uh-huh. you know, I have my own opinions about doing that in a sermon, but we we have made space for professional sports, but there there is a stigma about video games or digital games. And I'm wondering what that stigma comes from. Is it that it's addictive? Is it that it's it can be isolating? Like you kind of imagine the person in his 
or her parents' basement, like playing Halo 3 for nine hours and like never coming up except to get some Cheetos. I mean, that's that's a stereotype, right? But what is it about video games in particular compared with other types of games that receive the stigma and and not just from the church, right? I think there's a broader cultural misunderstanding of gaming and gamers. Sure. Yeah. I think we are always fearful of culture as a, not just as Christians, but as a human race of culture that's new. So like the church had the same issue with uh, film not too long ago, and we've kind of chilled out about it. And with music, clearly. Uh, I mean, we used to worry about how if you played certain records backwards or whatever, it was, you know, it was a, some call to worship Satan or something. So so we're dealing with that. Games are much newer than, than either of those two mediums, or video games are. Games are as old as time, right? But the idea of video games is a pretty new phenomenon, a pretty new medium. And so I think we're struggling to figure out what it means, what its value is, what its place in our lives is. And then there are there is that potential for addiction, you know, and that seems to be the discussion around games more. Now we've kind of gotten past some degree, I think, this fear of the violent aspects of video games. We're not talking about that culturally anymore anyway. But, you know, those those questions are worth exploring, but we need to do so you know, with some some nuance, with an understanding that, you know, what is what does it look like to to engage them redemptively? What does it look like to enjoy them in a responsible way? And they don't play them as much, probably. A lot of the older older pastors and things, that's changing. With Pokemon Go, they're now all playing. And they're all playing with their kids and Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean I will I will share that when I was sixteen or seventeen, I was very invested in a PC game called The Sims. <laughs> yeah. And as for a lot of people. Yeah. It seemed to be one of these games that attracted a lot of women, which, you know, there's a whole stereotype about video games attracting men, but we can talk about that on another episode. But I would spend a lot of time on this game, like all day Saturday, evenings, after school. And by the way, not I don't know that this matters, but in the game, you create people and you create buildings and then you essentially control their lives. You you get to make decisions for them throughout their day and kind of manage their day. And you can make people fall in love and make people fight. Anyway, I felt really convicted about it as a young Christian that I was spending so much time on it and that it was such a priority for me. And then there was also an element of the game of controlling other people <laughs> that didn't seem like the healthiest impulse to. So I I went to this evangelistic youth weekend when I was 17 called Acquire the Fire. And I felt so convicted about my my playing of The Sims that I gave it up. And I did, you know, I got it off my computer and I said in my journal, I will never play The Sims again. That lasted for about a year, which is pretty good for a teenager, I think. <laughs> but yeah. I think about that often as I'm still not sure that that game fostered the best impulses in me. And part of what's going on with a video game is how isolating it is and then how immersive it is. Like when you want to when you want to spend more time in a virtual world than in your flesh and blood world, what is that what, how is that shaping you as a person? And is that shaping you toward full flourishing? Or is it diminishing you in some capacity? So I think I think you're right, Drew, that 
church leaders are not quite sure what to do with this new phenomenon and probably don't have a ton of experience with video games. I also think there's good reason for us to probe, like, what is this doing to us? I think the agency that games offer you is actually one fundamental reason why they're so appealing. I think this is true for almost every single game where with the exception of something like Candyland, which is all luck, (laughs) you are actually given the choice to like affect real outcomes. And going back to what you talked about earlier, Caitlin, at the beginning of the segment about just horrible things going on around us that we feel very little control over. Different games resonate with us depending on how much control or agency we feel like we have in particular situations. And so clearly at the age of 16 or 17, when you were playing The Sims, you didn't have, for better or for worse, the ability to have your own family and to be able to lead a household in whatever that might look like at that time. Your desire to like kind of want to shape things or get animate something doesn't really seem like an inherently wrong one. It just was something that was not being offered you in like a real life form. And so to be able to live some of that out in this other world doesn't doesn't seem like unnatural or hmm. wrong to me. And I like that video games again alongside other games often offer you the chances to like make decisions that have consequences and have choices and there's impact for what you do you're not just doing things that you don't necessarily know if they have repercussions in a bigger world right because in the game universe you're incredibly important to those outcomes yeah you're the center of the outcomes depending i mean sometimes there's like multiplayer games right Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. board games you may or may not be the but at least you have some man now i want to play mario kart (laughs) that game is so fun (laughs) I'll say a couple things. One, I will affirm what you said, Caitlin, that they can be very addictive. And we need to be aware as Christians that many of them are designed to addict us. Candy Crush. Yes, I think Candy Crush has kind of an exploitative uh, design to it. It's designed to get you sucked in and to get your money. And I think we need to be aware of that. The flip side of this, there's some things we know to be benefits of playing video games. They teach us perseverance. You know, and, and that's tied to that, the, what you talked about, Morgan, about the input that we have into the systems of video games that, you know, they make us feel good. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing because we feel productive when we play them. But that means that they can teach us perseverance and problem solving skills and they're educational. You know, we can learn things about well, as we play video games. There's this whole movement in video games now called empathy games, where there are these games that give us a, a vision into people whose life circumstances and upbringing and socioeconomic background is different than ours. And I think that can be really uh, educational and valuable in, in a in a profound way. And so, you know, with anything in culture, we can really abuse it and engage it in ways that are destructive, but it's possible also to gain, engage it in a way that's, that's productive and, 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 and aids to human flourishing. And so that's kind of what I, that's been my shtick for a while is like trying to challenge the church to um, see that value, that there's value engaging it redemptively, that it's okay to be curious about the culture of video games and engage them. And Pokemon Go is a good example of that. I think honestly, because it's, you know, there, there's certainly people that are addicted to it and are probably spending too much money and time on it. But uh, Wait, but does also, it cost money? No, it's a free-to-play model, which are the most profitable games now because they're free, anyone can play them, but then there's all these little benefits you can do, you can have if you spend some money. That's why they're making truckloads of money. This is the dark, the dark side of Pokemon Go, is they're making truckloads of money because 
there's kids that they uh, have designed their game to get them to go beg their parents for, for, for money. <laughs> and, you know, not just kids, it's anybody. I mean, anybody really, if you really want to get ahead in the game, it helps to spend some cash. Uh, but you can have lots of fun with it if you take the attitude of, like, I'm not going to spend any money on it. I'm just going to. But again, you know, it gets us out into the real world. And I've had so much fun, like, exploring my city through playing it, but then also bumping into other people who are doing the same things and sharing our experiences in the game. And um, so, yeah, it's produced a lot of conversations with real people in the real world that, uh, you know, I wouldn't have had were it not for a willingness to engage that that game responsibly. I think I think I've done it responsibly. <laughs> You probably have. I've tried. Well, we are going to wrap up there. Thank you so much for um, leading us into a productive conversation, Drew, about the deeper meaning of video games and ways that they might teach us virtues that can be applied in the rest of our lives. So I don't know if I'm going to go download Pokemon Go, but I'm, I'm at least more open to considering it than I was. 45 minutes ago. So if our if our listeners have other thoughts specifically on Pokemon Go or on the church's relationship to the game and to gaming uh, more generally, we invite you to leave feedback on social media. You can reach us on Twitter at CT Podcasts or on Facebook at facebook.com slash CT Podcasts. We are going to end with a special edition Precious Moments. As our listeners know, this is the time in the show when we each go around and share something that is making us happy this specific week. This week, we're going to talk about a game that makes us specifically happy. So naturally, we will start with you, Drew. Okay. Well, I mean, the game that I've really, the only game I've played this week is Pokemon Go, so I have to say that. And it's making me happy because I'm out in parts of Nashville I've never been before, meeting other nerds like me, uh, many of which are not millennials. It's fun. So all different kinds of people playing Pokemon Go. And we, you know, at least smile and nod and recognize each other's humanity. But many, many times have conversations, which is fun. So you're seeing a kind of age diversity with among yeah. the people who are playing? Yeah, because when I didn't grow up playing Pokemon, it was kind of when I was when it came out, uh, I was a little too old for it, or I yeah. thought I was too old for it. So I didn't. This is my first Pokemon experience. So it's been fun to like learn from people who really know all about you know the different monsters that you can catch and stuff. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 been fun, but yeah. Are you on Twitter? Is there any way people can follow you there? Yes, Drew Dixon eighty two. And then we can find you at GameChurch.com, right? Yeah, you'll see a lot of my editing and writing there. I think we at Game Church try to set an example for what we talked about today of, of ways that video games can be engaged in redemptively without Jesus juking. What about you, Morgan? What's a game, not the Golden State Warriors, that makes you happy? So on Wednesdays, we have something called Game Lunch here at the office, and I've been exposed to a lot of games since we started this January. We do it every week. The past couple weeks that I've been, we've been playing bocce on the lawn, which has been a blast. I did not know very much about bocce except that it required decent aim and i did not think that i had that in me that said i have managed a couple good shots but in general i think lawn games are a blast we had people playing croquet a couple weeks ago which is also like a pretty ruthless game that i find really fun <laughs> as well you do go for the nice. ruthless games don't you yeah generally i prefer the non-athletic ruthless games though because mm. i think i'm better at lying and deceitful things wow do we during the like during the game hour? 
just during the game hour. Correct. Yeah. I'm as honest as they come afterwards. <laughs> and she literally looked away as she said that, listeners. <laughs> How would anyone There's, know? <laughs> exactly. There are some who say that when we play games, it reveals our true selves. So <laughs> that's probably there you true. go. Uh, you didn't even quote who said that. You just made it up. Some, to some say. Slander me. I just feel like I've heard it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So. Where can we find you, Morgan? I'm on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. So I occasionally will play iPad games and usually just like every few months or so, we'll start reading some of the reviews of like the best games of the year. And last year, spent some time playing a game called Monument Valley, which is a puzzle game that takes you through various um, really beautifully designed spaces. And you're kind of this strange little, I think you're a little girl and you're traveling through these different um, worlds and again, very, very beautifully designed. The, the music is really interesting and it was one of the most, I mean, redemptive is probably too strong a word, but it was one of the most satisfying and beautiful games that I had played in that it allowed me to be in this world that was just fascinating and so well-designed. So Monument Valley, unfortunately, it's not it's not a very long game. It takes you like just a few hours to get through the whole thing. So you can find me on Twitter at Caitlin Beatty. And that is it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This show is produced by Richard Clark and Cray Allred. And special thanks as always to online associate editor Kate Shellnut. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play. If you like the show, please make sure to rate and review us on the iTunes. That helps us a whole lot. See you next week. This episode was brought to you in part by the audio adventure series, Discovery Mountain. Help your kids fall in love with the Bible. Each true-to-life adventure story will draw them closer to Jesus. Visit discoverymountain.com/ct.